Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. As we speak right now, the World Cup championship game is being played. And last I checked, unless somebody can update us, France was winning 4-1. 4-2. Okay, so turn off your phones now and listen to the... I wanted to do that just to see who was still on their phones. France is winning, and it, and it looks like France is going to win it. And uh, the reason I mentioned that is because the majority of us have never been champions in a sport. We've never won a championship at some kind of sport. But we can be champions at life. And I believe that winning at life is more important than winning any World Cup. That winning in your marriage, that winning in your faith, that winning in your finances, that winning in your self-esteem, that winning in who you are is more important than winning any competition or obtaining any other trophy. And that's why we're doing this series called Champions, because we believe that God has bought our victory and that God wants us to be champions. Now, how do we become champions? Well, one of the many ways is by learning from the life and the experiences of the champions of faith. Look at what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. It says these things, and it's talking about the word of God. These things happen to them as examples for who? For us. They were written down to warn us, uh, to warn us who live at the end of age. Listen, I know. A lot of times we say, oh, we're living in the end of days. And I found, and I found, and and, and I know sometimes I'm a little bit judgmental. Forgive me. God is still working in me, okay? I found that sometimes that's just lip service, that we don't really believe that we're in the end of days. Because if we truly believe we were in the end of days, we would live differently. If we really believe that we were in the end of days, we would give more priority to witnessing, to our relationship with God, to building the kingdom of God, to, to living out the promises of God. But, but somehow we've been indoctrinated to kind of believe that, hey, Jesus could come at any minute, but he's probably not going to come. And I want to tell you that he can and he will. And he'll come when we less know it. And I'd rather be one of those vigilant um, in the parable virgins that was diligent and kept up waiting for, for the bride to come than to be caught by surprise. So what we're doing in this message, and we really want to do every Sunday, is to encourage us to live in such a way, to live in light of the fact that our Lord could come at any minute. And if the end of the ages, when in regards to the world, doesn't happen, as I mentioned in another Sunday, Maybe your end will come sooner. So one way or another, we're going to meet our creator one day. And probably sooner than we think. So in this series of champions, we've learned a couple of things. Let me do a little uh, quick review of past weeks. We've learned from David's mighty men that champions, to be a champion in life, we need to commit to excellence. 
that we can't half-heartedly do things, that we can't live mediocrely. We've, we've learned from these 30 uh, champions that, that doing the right thing is important regardless of the consequences. That doing the right thing, even when it's hard, will lead us to living like champions. And that it is important to develop our skills. That we cannot just live on talent. That we need to develop our skills. And then we also learn from the Apostle Paul, who taught us to prevail by developing a personal daily relationship with God. That the key to a successful, victorious life is a relationship that is dynamic, that is daily, that is being developed every day. And that that relationship with God should lead us to changing our lifestyle. That we need to live differently and that we need to begin to sow new seed. That, that many of us, when we came to Christ, we didn't come at our best. We came at our worst. And that God has redeemed us, but that we need to begin to plant a new seed and begin to harvest new things. And, and one of the ways we do that is by repenting of our sin as soon as possible. That we don't downplay sin, that we don't, that we don't hide sin, that, that we repent from it. And last week, we learned from Esther and Mordecai that in order to overcome adversity, because adversity will be part of our lives, that we need to decide to be part of the solution. That, that it's easy to find fault, that it's easy to find who to blame, but that we are never going to overcome if we don't decide to be part of the solution. And to be part of the solution, we need to put God first. Not last, not as our last resort, but put God first. And that we need to submit to wise counsel, not to Facebook counsel, not, 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 not to comadre counsel, but to wise, godly counsel. And that when we receive godly counsel, that we don't just retain that knowledge, but that now we move in faith. And what we want to do today is look at Samson. And Samson is known for his strength. Whenever we think of Samson, we think of two things, long hair and big muscles. But incredibly, Samson was an individual who was physically strong, but internally and morally weak. And sadly, the lessons that we will learn from Samson do not come from his strength, but actually come from his weaknesses. Which that should tell you that you can always learn from everybody. From some you learn what to do and from others you can learn what not to do. The story of Samson happens during a time in the Bible um, where God raised men and women to lead Israel and they were called judges. And during this time, the Philistines had conquered Israel. They, they, were, they were dominant of Israel. And during this time, God would raise these judges, such as Deborah, Gideon, and Samuel. And he would raise them to defend and free Israel from the Philistines. And Samson was one of those judges. And, and God, to help Samson fulfill his role, God gave him supernatural strength. He gave him extraordinary strength. But the strength that Samson had was dependent on his integrity to the Nazarene vow. What is the Nazarene vow? Well, in Numbers chapter 6, we don't have it in your outline, but you can read it at home. Um, the Nazarene vow depended on not eating grapes or even raisins or drinking wine or any other alcoholic drink. Some of you need the Nazarene vow. 
But it didn't stop there. It also meant that they couldn't cut their hair or go near a dead body, even if it was the parents. This was the Nazarene vow, and the Nazarene vow comes from the word Nazir, which means to be separated, to be consecrated. So it wasn't so much about what you couldn't do, but it was symbolic of what it meant that you had chosen to separate yourself from certain things to something greater. Did you know that the Bible says that we are separated unto the Lord? In other words, that there's certain things that we shouldn't do, that we shouldn't participate, that we shouldn't believe because God has something better for us. Now, the strength of Samson was not in his hair. People think that it was in his hair. But the strength of Samson was dependent on his integrity to the Nazarene vow. It was the Holy Spirit who would empower him to do those mighty things that he did, but it was his integrity to the vow as a Nazarene that gave him the strength. But you know what the problem with Samson was? Is the problem that many of us have. We don't live up to our vows. We don't live up to our calling. And by a sequence of events, Samson lost his integrity to the point where it's one of the saddest stories in the Bible because his life collapsed. And his legacy does not come to us by the great things he did, but by the mistakes that he did. And today we want to learn what not to do in order to be a champion in life. And Samson teaches us how important it is to guard our integrity. Samson teaches us that champions guard their integrity. Look at uh, what Proverbs 10, 9 says right there in your outlines. People with integrity walk what? Safely. But those who follow crooked paths will be what? Exposed. What does integrity mean? Integrity implies that a person is whole. It implies that a person of integrity lives right and is not divided, is not one way in or one way out, and that a person is the same person regardless of how different the circumstances may be. In other words, in a very simple way, a person of integrity is the same in public as they are in private. A person of integrity will not say something on social media that they would not say in front of that person. That's what integrity is. It means to be whole. It means to, to not divide yourself, to not, to not be a hypocrite, in other words. So how do we guard in our integrity? To be champions, to win at life, to win in our faith, to win in our marriage, to win in our parenting, to win in our finances, to win in our ministry. We need integrity. How do we guard our integrity? Well, three things that we learn from Sansom. Number one, and you can fill this out in your outlines. The first thing is to not lean on your own judgment. It's to not lean on your own judgment. In other words, for you not to think you know it all. For you not to think that you're smart enough. There's very smart people in this room. But you want to know something? We're all susceptible to bad choices. And we lie to ourselves a lot. This morning, I, we were listening to, to, um, to a, 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 an online service, and, and um, the preacher was saying, he was saying, do you realize that in all the bad mistakes and all the painful things that have destroyed our life, you were part of it? 
And in most instances, you were the mastermind behind what caused pain and destroyed your life. Why? Because we lean on our own judgment. And we go a lot with our feelings. You know, there's something worse than ignoring your feelings. Some people, oh, it's because I just feel this way. It just feels all right. I just don't feel it. You know what's worse than having to have to ignore your feelings? Having to have to deal with bad consequences. That's worse. And Samson, Samson was an individual that was born in a home with God-fearing parents. The Bible tells us that, that his mother was barren, that his mother could not have children, and that they prayed to the Lord, and an angel told them that they would have a son. Samson was a miracle baby. Samson grew up in a home with godly parents. Samson grew up in a home where God was a priority. But what happened to Samson? He grew up like all of us grew up. And one day, he saw a girl that he liked. Isn't it funny how most of our troubles come because of the opposite sex? I'll just leave it at that. I'll just leave it at that. So Samson sees this young Philistine girl and he falls in love with her and he goes back to his parents and he says, I want her. Get her for me. In fact, let's read it. Look at what Judges 14, 2 and 3 says. It says, when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among our relatives or among all our people? Must you go out to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Sound familiar? Yeah. Oh, mom, it's because you don't know him like I do. No, she don't know him, but she knows people like him. And, and listen, marriage with a Philistine woman was not forbidden by the law of Moses. The Philistines were not part of the seven doomed Canaanite nations. So it wasn't illegal to marry this woman, but just because something is permissible doesn't mean it's beneficial. Just because something is not illegal, it doesn't mean God will bless it. And Samson rejected the advice of his parents. And I want to tell you that God puts people in our path and usually those people that he puts, we call them annoying to warn us and guide us into God's will. And it is your choice. It is my choice. If we are going to listen to that advice that is given to us or if we're just going to go with what feels right. You know what's one of the worst things we can do? I'm going to tie my shoe because I know a lot of you guys are looking at my shoe and you're hoping I, I trip. Thank you for loving me enough. Um, you, you know what's one of the most dangerous things you can do? To go with your heart. Come on. Oh, it's because if it feels right, it must be right. No. You know how good it feels to eat donuts at 11 p.m. at night? <laughs> really, really good. You know how good it feels on a Sunday morning to just sleep in and I'll just listen to the podcast really, really good. But does it mean it's good? 
See, Samson could have avoided a lot of his problems, but he refused to listen. Isn't that true about you and me? People tell us, hey, don't think that way. Don't act that way. And we think we know better. Look at what Proverbs 12, 15 says. Fools think in their own, the fools think their own way is what? Right. But the wise what? Listen to others. Are you a fool or a wise person? Well, it all depends on the day of the week, Pastor. All right. What are you most of, a fool or a wise person? A fool thinks his way is right. A fool thinks, well, it's just, it's just, I just know it's right deep in my gut. The Bible says that above all things, the heart is wicked and sick. And if you go with what your heart feels, you're going to have a lot of regrets. Do you know why doing the right thing is so difficult? Do you know why? Because it doesn't always feel good. And because doing the right thing always comes at a price. Doing the right thing usually means, especially in Samson's case, that he had to ignore his love, his passion. And in reality, it was more lust for this woman. And doing the right thing can be hard. But listen, you, you, you got to know that you're always going to pay a price. Always. Okay? You cannot avoid paying a price. So you have to decide what... Fill this out in your outline. The first price is the price of obedience. And the second one is the price of disobedience. We always price. We just get to choose what price we pay. The price of obedience is small, will cost you a few cents. The price of disobedience is enormous, and it can cost you your life. You choose. You choose. Some of us, God is tuggling you at things in your life, and he's saying, hey, I'm not really first place in your life. you got to give that up. you got to put me in first place. And you're disobeying God. I want to tell you that the price of disobedience is always bigger than the price of obedience. And the rewards in disobedience are never as big as the rewards in obedience. Listen to me. Our parents, for the most part, I want to make a caveat, for the most part, are a gift from God. In the sense that God has given them a special ability to know what's best for us. And I would even say, even when they don't know what's best for them. Our parents, they have this ability to see danger ahead. Because maybe they just lived long enough, seen enough things, or God uses them to guide our life. And the better your relationship with your parents is, the easier wise advice, wise counsel will flow to your life from them. In fact, look at what the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 1 and 3. It says, children, obey your parents because what? Because you belong to the Lord, not because they deserve it. You obey not because of who they are, but because of who you are. It says, for this is the right thing to do. And obviously it goes without saying you obey them as long as what they're asking you to do complies with what God commands us to do. It says, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. 
If you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. You know why that verse says you will have a long life on earth? You know what they did in the old days to people who didn't obey their parents? They would stone them. I'm not talking about weed. They would kill them. So that's why this proverb says, if you obey your parents, you'll live a long life. Yes, we, I'm, not a, I'm not advocating that we stone our children, but, but there's still ways that God's principles become a reality in our life. Here's the second lesson that we learn about guarding our, our integrity. First is don't always lean on your own judgment. But second, don't tolerate the smallest compromises. Don't tolerate the smallest compromises. Let's look at some of the compromises Samson made. Look, look with me at the scriptures right there. Judges 14, 2 and 3 says, His father and mother reply, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. The first compromise that Samson makes is marrying a Philistine woman. And as I mentioned, although it wasn't illegal, it was in a blessed communion. But the second compromise is that he begins to make bets. Look at what Judges 14, 12, and 13 says. Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle. If you solve my riddle during these seven days of celebration, I will give you 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. But if you can't solve it, then you must give me 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. All right, they agreed. Let's hear your riddle. So he begins by dating and marrying a Philistine woman. Now he's beginning to make bets, which making this bet led him to killing thousands of Philistines. And it didn't stop there. He started getting involved with prostitutes to the point where he, had, where he landed with a woman named Delilah. Look at what Judges 16.4 says. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. And here's what, what Samson would tell us today. Don't tolerate the smallest compromises. Because a compromise is an opening that we make that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And if we focus for a minute, because I think the majority of us know the story of Delilah, right? I don't know if you've ever read it, but I've read it. And I ask myself, Samson, how dumb can you be? Can't you see this woman is trying to cut your head? The Bible says that Samson laid his head in her lap. You got to be careful where you get comfortable. Because comfort usually comes before the kill. And I don't know if you're like me, but I thought like, Samson, this woman, she's trying to get you. Why can't you see it? You know why he couldn't see it? Because when you begin to make compromises, you become blind to the truth, to the wisdom, and to the guidance of God in your life. And Samson began with simply saying, I know it's not wrong to marry her, but I want to marry her. And, and the saddest thing, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is found in Judges 16.2. And you know what happens with Samson and Delilah. In Judges 16.20, I'm sorry, it says, Then she cried out, this is Delilah, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. 
But he didn't realize the Lord had what? Left him. See, and that's the danger of compromises. The compromises usually get bigger. Well, you know, I'm just going to lie a little bit on my time card. I'm just, just tolerate certain nudity in, in movies. And, and these compromises begin to open a bigger door. And when we let know it, we find ourselves far from God. See, God gave Samson opportunity after opportunity. But Samson took the grace of God as another opportunity to sin. And it's sad that many of us, we often do that to the grace of God. God gives us opportunity to change, but we use it as an opportunity to continue to sin. Grace is a wonderful thing, but let me tell you something. Grace doesn't make sin safe. Grace doesn't make sin safe. James Patterson and Peter Kim in their book, The Day America Told the Truth, they used the survey technique that guaranteed the privacy and secrecy of the people that participated. And they documented what we as Americans really believe. Here's what they discovered. First, they discover that there is no moral authority in America. That Americans are making up their own moral code. They decide what is wrong and what is right. That only 13% of us in America believe in all the Ten Commandments. Only 13%. Only 40% of us believe that in five out of the Ten Commandments. And that for the most part, we choose which laws of God we want to obey. The second thing they found is that we as Americans are not honest. Americans are not very honest. That lying has become an integral part of American culture and of the American character. They estimated that 91% of us lie regularly. Now, I want you to know that I'm talking about Americans. I'm not talking about Christian Americans. All Americans, including Christians, 91% of us lie regularly, and we do it for no reason. Sometimes we don't have a reason to lie. We just are used to lying. And then when we lie, we don't even think about it. We don't even think it's wrong. You know, what time did you leave? Oh, I left around 3.30. You really left at 3. The third thing they found is that marriage and family are no longer sacred institutions in America. That we still marry, but that we have lost faith in marriage. That one in three married men or women have confessed to at least one affair in their marriage. 30% of married people aren't even sure they still love their spouse. The fourth thing they found, I thought this one was interesting, is that the Christian work ethic is long gone from the workplace. That workers around America admit that they spend more than 20% of their time totally goofing off on social media, Netflix, whatever it is. That means that you get paid for five days, but in reality, you only work four. And you know what the Bible calls that? You know what God calls that? Stealing. You get a 30-minute break, and you stretch it to an hour. But we take an hour service, and we stretch it down to 30 minutes. 
74% of Americans will steal, would steal from those who wouldn't really miss it. 64% of, of, of Americans lie when it suits them. And 53%, this is scary, 53% would cheat on their spouse. After all, given the chances, he or she would do the same. We've made compromises in our life. Let me tell you four traits of integrity. The first one, fill this out in your outline, is honesty. And honesty is telling the truth. We have to be people who live and tell the truth. We can't be good at telling the truth about other people if we're not good about telling the truth about ourselves. You notice how we're really good at telling the truth about other people? Oh, girl, you got to get it together. But you, we need to get it together too, right? It's like, oh, you got to stop coming late. Yeah, you got to stop being so judgmental as well. We, we got to be people that tell the truth. A man sent a letter to the IRS, and in it he wrote, I cheated on my income taxes, and I felt so bad I couldn't sleep. Enclosed is a check for $150. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. <laughs> Many of us can relate, because we want to be honest, but isn't it easier to be dishonest? It's easier when you're walking in the flesh. But honesty becomes easier when you're walking in the spirit. So we try to find ways to compromise our values so that a little bit of lying doesn't bother our, our conscience. We shut down the voice of the spirit in our lives. The first trait of integrity is honesty, telling the truth. The second one is trustworthiness. A person of integrity stands by principles no matter the consequences. A person of integrity has values and morals and they stick by them regardless of the consequences. We live in a world where they say there's no absolutes. Everything is relative. Let me tell you something. Not everything can be gray. And not everything is gray. There are things that remain. There are things, there are values that are eternal, that are transferable, no matter the age, no matter the culture. And a person of integrity especially follows God's will no matter what. The third quality, trait of integrity, is a private life. Who are you when nobody's looking? Are you the same person in public? A man in, a story says that a man in Long Beach went to a KFC to get some chicken for himself and a young lady that was with him. And that while she waited in the car, he went inside to get the chicken. And um, by mistake, the manager of that KFC, instead of giving him chicken, gave him the money of that week's earning. He had camouflaged the money by putting it inside of one of the boxes where they would put the chicken. And by mistake, instead of giving this man's chicken, he gave him the box with a lot of money in it. This couple goes to the park because they're going to have a picnic. When they arrive, they discover that instead of chicken, they got a lot of money. So this man goes back to the KFC and he says, Sir, you made a mistake and you gave me money instead of giving me chicken. 
the manager of the K- KFC, is so excited, so grateful that he says, that he says, young man, you got to stay here. I got to call the news because it's hard to find man of honesty, of integrity like yourself. And he says, no, 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 please don't do that. But why not? What you've done today, many people wouldn't do it. And he says, no, 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 please don't do that because the woman I'm with is not my wife. See, you can do, you can do something right, but still mess up in another area. That's not integrity. Integrity is when you are honest all across. A person of integrity has no duplicity. They're the same at church as they are in Dodger games. They're the same um, when they're talking to their pastor as they are when they're talking to their coworker. So how's your your private life? Are you the same? Are there things you do behind the screen that you wouldn't do in front of others? Are there things that you engage in in privacy that you wouldn't engage in front of others? But not just the private life, but also the public life. A Christian, the Bible tells us, needs to be above reproach. That in our public testimony, we need to be above reproach, a watching world. Do you know that those that don't follow Jesus are watching us? And you know what, why they're watching us? Because they want to know if what we believe is true or not. Somebody once said that you are the Bible some people will read. And what are they reading? Are they reading hypocrisy? Are they reading religi- religiosity? Or are they reading a life-changing power and message and relationship that attracts them and say, I want whatever you have? A pastor after his Sunday message, a pastor in London after his Sunday message on Monday, got on a trolley to go back home. And when he paid his fare, the trolley driver gave him too much change. And the pastor sat down in his chair, fumbling the money, saying this week was tight and this extra change could help to at least cover my groceries but deep down he knew that it wasn't wrong that it was wrong and that it wasn't right for him to keep and he even entertained the possibility well maybe god is providing in mysterious ways because we get religious when we want to finally he arrived to a stop and Inside of him, he knew he had to do the right thing. So he went back to the trolley driver and he says, you know, you made a mistake. You gave me too much change. And he says, no, I didn't make a mistake. I was there yesterday on your sermon and I wanted to see if you live what you preach. Do you pass the test when the unbelievers are looking at you and your life and wondering if the gospel is true? We need to. Champions guard their integrity. And we do what is right, even when it's easier to do what is wrong. The third lesson that we learn from Samson is that we shouldn't forget about God's plan for our life. We shouldn't forget about God's plan for our life. Samson fell because he forgot that God had a plan for his life. And it wasn't until the very end. Did you know that it wasn't until the very end that we find Samson praying for the first time? Look, look at what the passage says in Luke 16, 28 through 30. 
Then Samson prayed to the Lord. When did he pray? When did he pray? When the hold was too deep and and it was almost too late. Sovereign Lord, remember me again, O God. Please strengthen me just one more time with one blow. Let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes because they gogged out his two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than when he had during his entire lifetime. Unfortunately, Samson didn't fully realize to the very end that God had a plan for his life. And I've told you Sunday after Sunday that God has a purpose for your life. That God created you for mere more than to just make a job and live and then die. That there's something he wants you to accomplish. And when we forget, when we forget that God has a purpose for our life, that God has a plan, we are easily more tempted to compromise our integrity. I don't know about you, but I would want God to say about me what he said about Job. Look at what he says about Job in Job 2 and 3. I'll wrap up with this. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you ever noticed my servant Job? Wouldn't you want to be somebody that God brags about, that God shows off? Hey, have you seen, have, have you seen Marley? Have you seen Jose? Have you, have you laid eyes on them? He says, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. Why? He is blameless. A man of what? Complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And he has maintained his integrity. Although you urge me to harm him without a cause. I want to tell you that integrity is possible. And that if you have lost your integrity or you're in danger of losing it. It's not too late to repent today. And turn to God. And make a commitment in your heart to say. Lord, I believe you've empowered me to live the way you want me to be. And if you want to be a person of integrity, don't lean on your own judgment. Close the small compromises that you may be opening in your life. And, and remember that God has a good, beautiful, and powerful plan for your life. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go... We want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but He didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.